Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a licensed nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Yeah, this is Phil Stevens. I run Strength Guild. Um, I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, strength coach, amongst other things. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Indeed. Yes. Well, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, uh, creator of the Flex Diet Certification and the Physiologic Flexibility Certification, associate professor at the Kerrigan Institute. And today I'm picking up a 135 and 174 pound inch dumbbell replica. So I'm pretty stoked. Oh, cool. Big, more big dumbbells. There you go. <laughs> All right, let's see. I have two bits of news. These are from science journals, but they are policy uh, things, and I thought I could ask you two about these things. Uh, And then after the break, everybody, we're going to talk about uh, muscle mags and powerlifting publications then and now uh, with a specific focus on what should you look for. Now, a lot of these things, (laughs) Mike was joking, like, is the challenge to find them at all? You know, but you can find um, almost everything online, including historical stuff. And, you know, there's some still, there's some interesting advice in there. You can see what people were supplementing and there's there's motivation to be sure anyway so we'll talk about that sort of evolution of muscle magazines and even websites and you know what to look for but let me um let me start with some of these these are very brief and i just want to toss this out here for you guys and get your opinion just your honest opinions this first one is from rebecca dodd and colleagues from advances in nutrition this is brand new Strength and Muscle Sport News. Effectiveness and feasibility of taxing salt in foods high in sodium. A systematic review of the evidence. Now, so here it is, just real quick. Diets high in salt are a leading risk for death and disability globally. Taxing unhealthy food is an effective means of influencing what people eat and improving population health. Uh, There is a growing body of evidence on taxing foods high in sugar, but of course it's very... Uh, limited as far as taxing foods high in salt. We found 18 relevant studies, including 15 studies reporting the effects of salt taxes. Now, some of these used models, and they weren't the same thing as actual observations, uh, you know, in the wild, if you will. It says, although there is some evidence on the potential effectiveness uh, or cost effectiveness of salt taxation, uh, it is still limited in practice. Um, It says the limited experience we found suggests that policymakers favor taxing specific products. 
Um, what do you think, Phil? Salt taxes. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I know it's so loaded, right? But uh, it's just horrible. Uh, it's ignoring the fact that this, that salt is a needed electrolyte. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like I don't know nicotine or alcohol or <laughs> we actually need this shit to live. So, and you're going to start taxing it. Um, and it just, I'm, I'm a big proponent against taking away personal responsibility. Like, don't be an asshole. Mm-hmm. Don't eat salt all the time. Yeah, come on. So, that's where I stand. Yeah, I, in a way, it's a stick instead of a carrot, right? Like, I think a lot of our people, if you're trying to, like, avoid sodium by eating whole foods, that's the carrot, right? The carrot is the rewards that you might have yes. physically in health. This is a stick. Like, this mm-hmm. is a swat across the knuckles with a ruler, um, to say stop eating french fries, you know, or uh, yeah. worse things. Honestly, some of the really high salt foods are like soup, and that's the only way some people yeah. get their vegetables. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's a loaded question for sure. Mike, what do you think about salt taxes? Yeah, at face value, it sounds like a horrible idea. Mm-hmm. I agree with Phil. My first thought, is, at least for the population we're talking about, and we've had other people on here like Louise talking about Potentially increasing sodium right. in healthy people yes. because mm-hmm. you're eating whole foods. You're not downing all these high sodium, you know, whatever crazy ass foods. Um, but I think of like sports drinks, <clears throat> you know, especially in hot environments. I usually have some athletes add sodium to mm-hmm. even the sports drinks that are out there now. So, but those have a higher tax. I mean, I get what they're trying to do, which is debatable at best, even. Um, but I don't know. It seems kind of a wacky way of trying to get at it. The first time I heard about really pro-salt, I think it was Scott Abel. I think he's a Canadian bodybuilder. Oh, yeah. Years ago, Rob was telling me about, like, he's like, salt, more salt, you know. And then, yeah, if you think about special populations, and I guess they're a tiny fraction of the general pop. But right. um, when, yeah, when we were hearing stuff about, like, uh, ketogenic diets uh, causing sodium excretion you know and you lose electrolytes in your pee and mm-hmm. i looked into a lot of that stuff a little more deeply because i wanted to see the published stuff and there is some real evidence about that sort of thing and so yeah if you want to go eat something like let's say you know some vegetable soup it'd be a shame to tax that and those people couldn't get it i mean they could get it but they would have to pay more and i guess it depends on how much you're taxing it but sometimes mm-hmm. this, it sounds like a money grab um you know, by the government, maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah. And I'd like to even see the data showing that these, quote, sin taxes even work. Yeah. Because just that it is completely anecdotal. Like, if you travel a lot and spend more time in gas stations, like I have recently, doesn't look like it's slowing any of that population no. down, I guess. Yeah. This new article this by Dodd and colleagues, they do say they found 18 relevant studies but yeah. most of them were modeling, you know, so they're just trying yeah. to imagine how this might work. They did right. say there were four real-world evaluations, um, but it just – their conclusion is very soft and kind of weak, you know, very limited. Um, it looks like policymakers might favor it, but as far as actually really affecting intake of salty foods, uh, yeah, it's really soft as far as what they conclude from the evidence, you know, so – yeah. Uh, here's another one, and this is also sort of policy-related. I thought I would bounce off you guys. Um, this is brand-new stuff. This is from Kurt Hager. Uh, 
the promise and uncertainty of fruit and vegetable prescriptions in healthcare. Like, not kidding. Now, I'm familiar with medical nutrition therapy and the, you know, the medical benefits of foods, but this is loaded too. Uh, food is medicine interventions are of rapid growing interest to healthcare systems, payers, patients, and policymakers. Such programs can be defined as integrating payment for healthy food or direct provision of it to patients as part of their healthcare intervention. That's all I'm really going to say. Um, my first thought on this is there's been attempts in the past, and I can't quote them. Maybe a listener can send something in that the FDA or other authorities have wanted to make things like fish oils or vitamins and certain amino, amino acids prescription only. That stuff pisses me off, to be honest, mm -hmm. because I don't want to go spend $200 at my doctor to get my fish oils, you know, mm -hmm. and then have him say, no, I don't think you need them. It's like, well, in all due respect, I'm better read than you on this topic. Um, yeah. Now, I respect physicians. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, Phil, what do you think about basically doctors prescribing fruits and veg uh, and like for insurance company payers to pay for it or whatever? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's... <laughs> <laughs> why don't we just – I don't understand why at least – Doctors, to begin with, how about we just start by giving them a basic education in nutrition and start talking to their clients about basic good nutrition? I mean, and start educating the public on that. Let's start there. Let's start removing the idiocy from the mm -hmm. world, and maybe that'll help. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? I mean, I don't get it. I mean, and that's, you know, we've talked about it with, like, I, I, I love my surgeons. I love my doctors, but especially a, a, a general physician should at least have some idea of nutrition and maybe that'll help. Yeah. You know, where they can actually sit down with their clients and, you know, just talk to them about, Hey, the, the benefits of use of fish oil and fruits and vegetables. And, you know, that's probably leaning the right direction more than here. We're going to force you to take these prescription. Right. Uh, you know, what, what bothers me most about this, I think, um, and it can be good. I like that it's recognizing the power of the medical power of food. You know, exercise and nutrition are forms of medicine if applied well. But yeah. what I don't like is when they, they sneak in the word here, payers, to me, and people, I may get some real crap for this, but to me, it seems like in our broken healthcare system, and I think it's broken, um, yes. that we have this middleman between you and your doctor deciding mm -hmm. what he will pay for or what he won't pay for. And so it actually, you know, it feels like this like mafia, like this almost, um, yeah. you know, insertion in the system where what part of you is valuable, Mr. P insurance payer, you know, uh, when you're you're getting between a person and their doctor. I mean, I get it that ultimately insurance might pay for some things and they probably do like to do things like pay for fruits and veg because they're cheaper than an insurance company paying for Yes. You know, uh, an expensive uh, drug. Uh, but they frankly. won't be any longer. I'll pay $23 for my six apples. Oh, right. You know? Right. <laughs> you know, so. Because of the middleman. Right. Gouging. Yeah. Gou extortion. That's the word I'm looking for. It, it feels like a, almost a form of extortion or uh, insertion into this whole system. So you get, in my opinion, you get bankers and insurers involved with things. And you better 
keep an eye on them. Somebody better keep an eye on them. Um, In in one sense, I feel like this this is a blow in in a sense against IIFYM. Like if it fits your macros, you know, those guys are, I know that's more like target date diets, but they're like, no, if it fits your macros, who cares about all these, you know, phytochemicals and, and, um, you know, micronutrition and this and that. Um, as far as body comp, I get it. That's specific to body comp, but this is really like doubling down on more, basically the phytochemicals and the, in the micronutrition, you know? Mm-hmm. And I like that part of it. Mike, what are your thoughts about this? The prescription from your doctor for <laughs> fruits and veg? Yeah, it just sounds like a freaking horrible idea because it's <clears throat> at face value. If you listen to it, you're like, well, I get what they're trying to do. It kind of makes sense. But if you drop that into the current U.S. system, it's going to be just an absolute debacle mm-hmm. because of exactly the stuff you said. And you can look at just some other countries where they've tried to regulate, you know, just simple things like, you know, how much vitamin C can you get at once and <clears throat> supplements and other things. And yeah, I just. I just imagine it being a complete disaster. And, you know, what you guys were saying, we should maybe subsidize fruits and vegetables if we want to go that route and make them more available than a lot of the the cheap foods if we're trying to change the economics of it. And, yeah, I mean, and unfortunately, most, you know, general physicians are not trained in nutrition or even exercise at all and i know the university of minnesota has tried for a couple of years to get it into their medical school and when i was taking classes there one of uh, a buddy of mine was on the board and it just went on for years and years and it basically came down to no one wants to give up any time so they even threw out the idea of making medical school five years to try to get some more, you know, information in there. And I don't even know what became of that. I don't imagine that was <laughs> very popular either. Yeah. So. Yeah. His, historically. Idea, but. Ugh. Right. Yep. I think historically, I, I I once heard, I know there's, like you said, there's real efforts to try to change it, but like 70% of med schools didn't even have basic nutrition. Now. Oh, no. I, it's like three hours and it's <clears throat> normally what you know, diets to order for a diabetic if they're in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like inpatient stuff. Um, yeah. Let me just, let me give some further details on this. It says there are a couple um, brands, if you will, or projects. Major examples include produce prescriptions, produce RX, and medically <laughs> tailored meals, MTMs. Produce RX generally offer free or discounted produce to ambulatory patients based on a range of eligibility criteria. Now, that's the red flag word for me, but um, nutritionally tailored meals are for outpatients with severe chronic conditions and limitations uh, in activities of daily living. Uh, And this as such programs hold great promise. Now, that sort of at least it sounds on the surface that it flies in the face of what, what Phil was just saying. Like, why don't we just educate people on how to eat? Because this is almost, it sounds like, at least if this goes bad, it sounds like, don't think about what you're eating. Just eat what we send you, you know, eat what the doctor prescribed you. It's no different than rehab. Like if you got a drug addict and you force them into rehab and they don't want to be there, it's not going to work. If you try and force somebody to eat meats and vegetables and fruit and they want to eat McDonald's, they're going to fucking eat McDonald's. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you got to educate them. You know, yeah. And it's behavior, contract. too. You're right. It's yes. it's that like when you do nutrition counseling, what's the whole point of nutrition counseling? It's 
to assess readiness to change, you know, confidence to change. You're doing this stuff before you just lay out goals. <laughs> you know, like we want you, we want you to eat all of these green vegetables before the end of the week. Like you said, but McDonald's smells delicious and they're pumping the smell into the air down the block, you know. Yes. And you know, the food industry is is not going to be as on board. But if there's an educational component, I can see some value to the, these sorts of programs. But I can again, we're just talking about like what's the flip, the dark side of each coin here, mm-hmm. you know. Um, if there isn't enough of the educational or motivational uh, monitoring uh, and stuff mm-hmm. like that, because I mean, let's face it: why do we have an obesity epidemic that just gets worse every damn year? And it's because, like, we've been people like the three of us, and you know, dietitians or. Uh, fitness trainers, a lot of people, they've been preaching the how-to for a long time, but obviously that's not enough, right? The siren song of the food industry or the entertainment industry is too strong and people aren't, you know, like we are not, we are not turning around this obesity bus. It's just getting worse every year. So I feel like, I don't know, um, it's going to call for some type of system that's not like our own right capitalism is is where we, we want to monetize and, and commoditize everything and if there's money to made, be made in the food industry and mike you and i've seen this firsthand at ift meetings oh, and yeah. stuff man how can we jam a third more sugar in the snack cakes because that'll increase sales 29 well, percent um and it's just like i can't help but come back to personal responsibility like cold stone has never made me fat <laughs> they have never forced me to go to their store and buy their product and eat a lot of it Mm-hmm. I choose to go there every now and again and eat their delicious ice cream. You know, it's, you know, nobody's forcing you to eat any of this stuff. You know, and it's not the only choice. You can eat well on fairly low income. Yeah. You know, just make the right fucking choices. Yeah. Less <laughs> of the really not. highly processed. And if I want a goddamn McDouble, I'm, I want, like, I want to be able to get one. Yes. Every now and again. Because later you're going to so eat I'm your not vegetables. Live on them. Yeah. Yes. No, and I that's my choice. Yeah, that's um, – I have an interesting debate. It's hard to do during the age of COVID, but with my freshman classes in the past, I've often said, is obesity a personal choice? You know, And it's fun to drag out all the potential uh, social issues that can come up. You know, it's, it's psychosocial stuff, biological stuff. It becomes kind of messy, but – at the end of the day, there's got to be some element of personal responsibility, yes. you know? Um, Mike, what do you, anything else about the, the veg, veggie stuff? I mean, how do you handle this? Do you encourage people? Do you look at readiness, you know? Yeah, I do some evals of <clears throat> like a motivational interviewing and some readiness to change. I use a lot more of the readiness to change, right? The trans theoretical model or yeah. Prochaska model of change. There's different names and different models, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. at the root of all of it, I just kind of simplify it down to education, you know, trying to educate people as best you can, even if they're clients or not clients. And that's where a lot of the newsletter stuff goes and other things that I do for free. In my opinion, kind of like what you guys were saying, that it's probably the only thing that's going to move the needle. And at the end of the day, I'm trying to use education to get them to make better choices themselves, right? Which is going to be a lot more sustainable. And the flip side too, even with economics is, you know, maybe we subsidize some of the <clears throat> fruits and vegetables and other basic, you know, foods for lower income people. And then after that, if 
if everyone decided that, you know, we don't like McDonald's hamburgers and they stop buying them, then they'll probably find something else to try to feed us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they are going to respond to whatever is going to make them money. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, last thing on the physicians, too, I'm not trying to throw all of them under the bus, but I did find that a study from the it's a little bit dated. It's 2008. Uh, lead author is a vetter from Journal of American College of Nutrition. But a study of participants' uh, residents in primary care training facilities found that 94% of survey respondents felt an obligation to discuss nutrition with their patients, yet only 14% felt prepared to do so. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So you've got a, a poor group of people who are already, like, stressed out. Their time they have with each patient is ungodly short. That's correct. And then now they're saying, well, you have all these diseases. You need to talk about nutrition. Most of them don't feel prepared to do so. And even if they did, if you've got an average of, what is it, like eight minutes a patient? Right. Good friggin' luck. Yes. You know? we got, you know, online training is what I do and in-person and consulting and everything else. I have multiple hours with some, you know, clients over the course of it and hundreds sometimes. And it's still not a guarantee that they're going to be 100% better. You know, it's just a long term process. Right. It's the chronic nature. I I once wrote it was an academic article uh, and it was called obesity in the healthcare professions. And we were pointing at some of this stuff like most of the visits to a family doctor are for chronic conditions. You know, Jim, you got to get that blood pressure down. But the doctor doesn't have time to tell Jim how to do it, you know, Um, or, you know, you got to get that gut under control. You know, I see. And I've actually been told this before because I'm heavy for my height. Well, we'd like to see you get down, you know, well under 200 pounds. Lower BMI. (laughs) Right. No, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And I get a little flag that I have to meet with a dietician, which is funny. Right. (laughs) Um, And I'm not even that heavily built anymore. My body mass index is only 29 ish now. Now, I know that's still high, but I'm not that fat. I'm guessing I'm maybe, I don't know, 15 percent fat, just sort of average, you know, Um, not for my age, maybe, but. But yeah, and so chronic diseases are a big part of it, and the and the whole thing is the evidence that I was citing is that those are the conditions that take more time. And to your point, like yeah, the the yeah. poor physician has eight minutes, and this isn't as simple as pill for the ill, right? And so, you know, the the patient just leaves undereducated, undermotivated, and doesn't change. So uh, now let me give a caveat, huge caveat about everything we just said. If anybody wants to, you know, has a different opinion, by all means. Like these things, they could have promise, like the one article says, if they are executed well, I would think. Like, again, the problem. Right, (laughs) right. So, and we're just doing this for discussion, right? There's a lot, these are loaded topics, uh, and these are just our initial impressions. So, we don't prepare for this show, everybody. I just blindside Mike and Phil with this stuff. So, um, if, yeah, if you have different thoughts on this, hey, I, you know, I'll I'm happy to change my conclusion. Like, yeah, if this is a way to get cheaper fruits and vegetables to people, and the insurance companies aren't gouging people or setting, you know, eligibility criteria, that was the term that really threw the red flag for me. Like, ooh, who's yeah. deciding that? And again, yeah, in in a in a market that monetizes suffering in a sense, in a healthcare market, then everybody's going to say, how can I make money with this program? Um, that's what capitalism does. And so, yeah, I don't want to get into a discussion on socialized medicine, but 
Okay. I want to put up one thing that came out on the uh, Iron Radio listeners page from last week's episode. Um, Michael Katabinski said, I was listening to episode 600 after Lonnie described performed nut feeding trials. He said, not one of you laughed or made a D's nuts joke. I don't know if I can continue supporting a member of this level of professionalism and immaturity. <laughs> He's seeking greater immaturity. <laughs> we were we were slacking there, buddy. All right. He caught us. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's go to break. Uh, we'll come back. We're going to talk about uh, muscle mags and powerlifting publications then and now. And what should people look for? I can't stop feeling. Some of us don't understand how lucky we are to be living in this Hi listeners, this is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep Iron Rated in your thoughts. Over the past several years, there have been hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. Iron Radio is here for you. But as with any public radio-type format, the show is listener-supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 a month, you become a supporting member, keeping your weekly dose of education, experts, and gym talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page. Or... Click the Donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brotherhood and Sisterhood. Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor between now and January, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Okay, listeners, after more than a decade of joining us on the podcast airwaves, you can now also become viewers on YouTube. This is not our usual simple backup of the audio show, but rather a growing body of video taste tests covering various foods of interest to nutrition enthusiasts, bodybuilders, and powerlifters. From within YouTube, simply search for Iron Radio Taste Test or Nutrition Radio Taste Test, In about 15 minutes, we cover taste and texture similar to other products, uh, usefulness to the co-hosts, and whether we would recommend the product to certain clients. 
You may even want to watch our podcast feed or Facebook group for which products are coming down the pike so you can taste test them with us. Join us for this new monthly project. Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Alrighty, everyone, we're back. It's Phil, it's Mike, it's Lonnie, and we're going to talk about muscle magazines and powerlifting publications then and now. We're going to grade them, sort of, uh, tell you what to look for. And of course, a lot of this, of course, has evolved into the online space. Uh, obviously, we'll have to address that. But a lot of the old paper stuff, books and magazines are still, you can find Everything basically has scans online these days. I mean, you know, Google is basically scanning every tidbit of human knowledge throughout history. It seems like a monumental task, but I mean, look at Google Maps. They kind of <laughs> do that. That's <laughs> kind of their gig. Anyway, there's motivation to be had, maybe some education if you're careful. Let's start with a list here, magazine list. Um, there were the more gen pop type muscle magazines like muscle and fitness right the weeder publications uh flex was for the more hardcore crowd i suppose as far as like the bodybuilding stuff muscle mag international obviously it'd be great to have rob on the call here because rob worked at mmi for years under bob kennedy bob was like I don't know, like the harsh uncle. He would fire Rob and rehire him and fire him and rehire him. Mm. It's just kind of funny because, of course, Rob's so stubborn. Um, but, you know, they were the ones that really kind of brought about, in my mind, like the gossip, like Muscle Beach gossip columns and stuff like that. Like, you know, that when we tell stories about how two bodybuilders would go out and uh, I think it was like back in the day, Samir Banu and Gary Stridham. They, they got in this argument about who was faster, and they went out and tried to sprint against each other, and both of them, like, pulled or tore their hamstrings or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, that kind of gossip was big in Muscle Mag International. Um, Bill Phillips Magazine, what was that? Uh, muscle Media. Muscle 2000, Media. 2000. Yeah, yeah, Muscle Media 2000. There you go. Mm -hmm. And th that one was really, um, to my memory – it was this like vicarious drug mag, right? It's mm -hmm. like look at look oh, at the these first ampules. Time you heard it in yep. <laughs> right. Oh, right. It was very like edgy, right? Like yeah. oh my god, ampules and this is fake and this is real and you know look at these syringes mm -hmm. and these bottles of Deca and and honestly, I think that's kind of what built his empire. Yep. Um, is I mean, obviously, since that time, he's gone more and more mainstream. You know, so many of the guru type muscle gurus will go more and more mainstream to the point that they actually become like life coach almost. They become so generalized. They're not even just about the muscle anymore or the fitness anymore, but they're like life transformation people. And I think that's basically what Bill Phillips did. I hear through the grapevine that he's actually back to writing some fitness stuff again. Hmm. I don't I don't know if that will take off or not. We had... Uh, his brother Sean on the show yeah. uh, years ago, 
anyway, um, Muscle Insider uh, is a Canadian publication. I think they're owned by a British like advertising affiliate or something. But um, I'm pretty sure that's the one that Rob was going to write for, but then he just – he kind of did with the whole um, Muscle Magazine world what I did with social media. Just – enough and he just turned his back on it and that's why he robs a prison guard now <laughs> uh, you know something that he can use his strength and not not have to basically you know in his mind i think suck up to people um and i think that was the muscle insider thing i just quickly browsed their website and it looks like pretty standard dietary supplement and you know contest photos kinds of stuff um and then there was powerlifting usa and I don't know much. I, I I had copies of that mixed in with all my muscle magazines, you know, and I saw sometimes there was nutrition advice or contest reports. But, Phil, I mean, do you, what do you remember about Powerlifting USA? It was less of an advertorial magazine and more of a, this is what's happening in Powerlifting now. Um, so it was more stories about lifters and what they did and things like that. So, I mean, it's uh, historically – Powerlifters are a harder sell on supplements than bodybuilders. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mm-hmm. mean, so I agree. So that, that didn't work. So their their publication couldn't go that way, or they wouldn't sell it. So it was more information than it was advertorial. Sounds so. almost more legitimate journalism. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so there were also books. Uh, I remember reading again from Muscle Mag International fame, but Bob Kennedy, mm-hmm. he had books like Beef It. I must have read that book. 50 times you know he had several of those books and basically it was just um it was a mix of lifting advice workout programs photos of pros in the gym you know and i think that was one thing that was kind of cool like it was more almost documentary style sometimes the pictures were staged but like you know of course in magazines you know you get these fools (laughs) in sunglasses indoors screaming silent Mm. scream in each other's face you're like come on you what know. was with the sunglasses indoors? I've never, mm-hmm. I've never understood that. <laughs> I understand the Zubas and the fanny pack and the other, I, but the sunglasses inside, I just, I can never wrap my head. It's around cool, that. Mike. It's just cool. <laughs> it's on the same level as like a crop or a sleeveless hoodie. It's like that time where my head's really cold, but my arms yeah. are chilly. You know, you know, I mean, it's come on. right yeah Yeah. come on like there's no utility here at all yeah Yeah, dysfunctional fashion you know what i think the sunglasses thing like i in some ways you know you've seen those memes where they put the cartoon sunglasses on anybody who's trying to be badass i think that's kind of where a lot of that comes from you know um at least in in some way it has to stem from arnold in terminator that's exactly what i was just thinking too oh god (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, speaking of Arnold, he had – I actually recommend the book, Arnold's Education of a Bodybuilder. I still have it on my mm-hmm. bookshelf. It's very worn. I've read that more than once. It's just interesting. If you want to see a kid go from you know the countryside and Austria and everything he went through, not everything. I, I suspect there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. Like you can yeah. read this as a mature person and you're like – Oh, I see their potential gray areas there, you know, but mm-hmm. but it's an interesting book. And then his bodybuilding encyclopedia, which was gigantic. Mm-hmm. I'm actually a fan. It covers a lot of stuff. It's, you know, like that book's like four inches thick. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then Bill Pearls, did I say Keys to the Inner Universe? That's similar 
to Arnold's Encyclopedia, yeah. uh, and I read that many, many times. It's got a very old-school cover on it. But these are things I think are still worth looking at. Um, I know times change some sometimes, but you know, just those straight, no-nonsense, hard-work kinds of principles and whole food nutrition advice – I don't, I think those are kind of timeless, you know, um, Phil, I was going to ask you about eBooks, like starting strength in three, two, one. Um, you said those are at least in, um, three, two, one's case decidedly not, yeah, not eBooks, right? Well, yeah, like Jim, his five, three, one, it, uh, his first ones were an eBook and then, you know, he made the call to his last one. I, I printed, but, um. Just for all disclosure, there, um, like made the decision not going ebook because of all the theft. And I, if, when we're talking books, I think not the death of the book, but the downturn of books came with you used to see only good books potentially. I mean, the 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 bar was very high, and that's because one of two things: either you had to self-publish and spend yes. a lot of money, or you had to talk somebody into spending a lot of money. Because your information was good, yeah. So investor. one of the two things, and now, like I could write an ebook now in the next hour and put it out for free. Yeah. So anybody can have a book. Uh, whereas before, you you had to have legitimate info or at least entertaining. Um. So the uh, the the bar is very low now, and also, just like music, I mean. You go e format and people just think, "Well, I own this thing. You know, I can share it with anybody I want." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we we were popping people like there were literally gym owners who were buying a copy and then posting a link and handing it out to everyone. Wow! Like, well, I own it. I bought it. Wow! Well, yeah, it doesn't give you the right to just give you don't it have out. Distribution rights? No, and that's it's totally people. Well, I can share my in person book. Yeah, but you can't share it with two million people at once. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you can only pass that book you bought to one person at a time so that the spread is so much lower than than with an ebook so so that uh, sounds like a lot of people turn away from ebooks it's a hard choice because the instant gratification the instant yeah. sell is right. so fast with ebooks yeah um but to me yeah, yeah th- that sounds like one of the things on our what to watch for list is um rogue distributors Right, like yep. people that are just sharing it. It's like, listen, if you actually value this content, pay Jim for it. Yeah, <laughs> you well, I know, tell you Mark. This. I mean, and anybody now. I mean, I can guarantee you that almost with certainty that if a book is only in hard copy, it's probably good info because that person spent a lot of money to do it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, you know, then it's not some guy that sat down and spent a half an hour writing an ebook. And then decided to spend fifty thousand you know, dollars to sell it. That is that's different. <clears throat> lay books like Starting Strength or Three Two One or the Bob Kennedy books or lay books like that. I agree a hundred percent. Like if I see it in hard copy, it's going to have better production value. Yep. You know, uh, somebody spent tens of thousands of dollars for a print run. Um, mm-hmm. Now I had to adjust my thinking because I'm an old fart these days. And when when science journals went electronic i would only seek out the ones that also had a print version but but eventually ultimately a lot of them have very limited like if you want to spend an extra hundred bucks a year you can get the print version but no there's a lot of very legitimate of course scientific journals that are e only right and i had to but there was probably a 
three to five year period where I wouldn't believe it. <laughs> like yeah. if it's E only, this is um kind of fly by night, you know, that's, maybe not a vanity journal, but you know, sketchy. Yeah, that's a bit different though because it's you know, those are usually like monthly or quarterly or whatever publications. Right. So, yes. Um, it's and it's multiple writers, multiple scientists, multiple papers. Editors. It's not somebody that sat down for five years to write a book. Correct. Yeah. No, it's no. a different. Yeah, it's no. different from the lay publishing publishing community. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So, and uh, I still uh, think about how it just boggles my mind because I still buy a ton of print books because I'm a dinosaur. But I like them to get stuff from Amazon for. I just bought a book recently. Fifteen bucks. It showed up at my door. Literally the next day, I'm like, wow, I get all this author's wisdom or accumulated over their entire lifetime for like 15 bucks. Yeah. Like, that is so cheap. Oh, it's yeah. Just, yep. yeah. Gold. <laughs> it's just gold, you know. Yeah. And it's in your face. Like if that's on your countertop, on your on your coffee yeah. table, you're, you pick it up. You're like, oh, yeah, let me browse through that. And no website can do that, really. No. And you can't pull out a pen and mark things and mm-hmm. whatever. You know, help I, it stick. I'm very much a. I want to hold it in my hand and read it. Yeah, thing. yeah. I I wonder yeah. if um, people who are Zoomers are listening to us, like you old guys, <laughs> your paper books, you yeah. know, dead trees. But yeah, I think the act of like I've actually seen like pedagogical literature that by taking notes in the margin, things stick better when you write it down, yes. right? Because you have to actually use your motor cortex. To, you have to use your brain to transfer the information as opposed to just skimming it online and dismissing it, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, as a sort of final thing here, major topic is, of course, books and magazines uh, are now the Internet. I mean, things have moved online. We've got, you know, probably the bigger ones. And I don't know if you guys can think of some. I mean, obviously, we've all written for T Nation, and Phil was moderating there as well. And um, there's bodybuilding.com, which is, you know, was that Ryan DeLuca, I believe. Yep. Um, and that's just gotten so massive that I feel like they lost control of it <laughs> uh, in a lot of ways. Because a lot of that stuff is like, uh, you know, you've got the forums attached, and, and T Nation is like that as well. And, before we hit record, everybody, we're talking about how even a lot of forums have gone the way of the dodo as well because social media has taken that role, you know, Instagram or, you know, uh, Facebook things. I don't think they act in the same way, you know, because like on Facebook, things kind of drop off the bottom. Uh, you don't have a, a, a sticky, you know, necessarily. I mean, sometimes, but it just doesn't hold the same, you know, here's a topic and a lot of people discussing that topic um, that you can easily search and find it's just the, the functionality is different and i feel like forums are even dying um yeah there was a point in time where forums were an amazing thing oh um, yeah like t nation if you were a power lifter i mean there was a point in time when you could pose a question and you would have like louis simmons dave tate jim Wendler, mark <laughs> uh, blah blah all right. these fucking people famous you know, yeah, and a lot of times they were saying shit you didn't want to hear, but uh, <laughs> you know, um, and then it, of like anything else, it went downhill. Uh, yeah, but th- there were some amazing conversations that went on that were long, you know, like threads with thousands of comments. Um, oh yeah, that was more than you're stupid. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. there was utility. So, yeah, yes. yeah, and now social like, media. 
some of the articles at Team Ag, it used to be, even some of the ones I did and probably you guys helped with too, yes. there used to be a forum thread right under the article. Yes, there did. So like you could go into whoever your favorite author was at the time and literally ask them any question about an article first. that they yep. just put up. Like that's They're... just mind-blowing to me. <laughs> I still reference, you know, they have gone way downhill. Uh, like I haven't even checked into there in a long time. But I still have links and references to their archives are a gold mine. Oh, um, by far. They had so many wonderful authors at one point in time. Um, yeah. And it was people that were at the top of their game. Uh, so there's there's some, some gold back in there. Yeah. On top of the or below all the fluff. So. Right. No, I, I guess so that's I, what I was getting at. Like if you have the. The patience and you know where to look. You're right. The T Nation forums. I think there's actually a lot more there, or at least to me, it's it's personally more logically accessible than trying to search around bodybuilding.com, which just blew up to such an extent. Like I said, I feel like it just kind of went off the rails. Um, and you're right. And th places like T Nation, they've definitely changed over the years. You had actual nutritionists writing nutrition articles with a reference list, you know, 30 long, 30 citations long. It wasn't just the opinion of one guy arguing with another to basically just try to get attention and set himself apart. Um, and that's kind of, you know, that's a risk for what happens there. But to put your guys' point about making comments after an article, it actually became an expectation i don't know at some point yeah, like mid 2000 yeah like write the article hey you're not done bro you have mm -hmm. to stick around for a week uh on the forums and field people's questions about your article so it became like they 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 it was sort of um sneaky how they wrapped in additional responsibilities like oh so you're not paying me to author this you're paying me to work the crowd is what you're doing you know, the article is just the initial seed, but, you know, there's more responsibility than just an author here. Um, yeah. But if you think how much it would, if looking as an outsider, as a reader, if you want to do a consult, you know, with, you know, Dave Tate or Thibodeau or whoever it is, that's going to cost you probably a fair amount of money if you can even do it. And now you can get access to them and read their stuff, which is amazing. And then you could interact with them literally for free. Which to me is still kind of mind blowing. Well, that's <laughs> the, it's good for the consumer, no doubt. It was it was yeah, exactly. it was an additional from both sides because right. I had to do both. Right, yeah. <laughs> as the author, it's an additional duty, and you know, yeah. and you know as well as I do. I mean, you have to you have to be careful how you respond. You have to be almost yeah. this sort of like politically correct, like, well, science is the answer, and it moves in small steps, or you know. Thank you for being civil because, like you guys say, I mean, yeah. social media just degrades yeah. into a quagmire of profanity and pornography and God knows what, hate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's where the moderators would come in, and that's a, another helpful thing, you know. I mean, I, I don't even know how well moderators work. Like on Facebook, which I've just turned my back on, and I know that's mm -hmm. to my own detriment as far as marketing stuff goes, but – I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, Facebook is probably going to have their own hate filters and a, a few other things, maybe some type of bot filter. Um, but that doesn't mean that, like, on our Iron Radio Facebook page, it feels not sit dinging people. Hey, like, yo, you're out. You know, that's an mm -hmm. ad, um, you know, and crap like that. But so just to wrap this discussion up a little bit, um, what what do you think people should look for if they're looking for reading material online in an age of self publishing 
you know, and e-publishing. Uh, Phil, what would you have people do if they wanted to stuff to read and motivate? You know. Oh God. <laughs> I know that it's a minefield. It's, it's yeah, it's hard to like. It's easy to say something, but it's hard to pinpoint something that'll point you to actual credible information. Um, I steer away from advertorials. I mean, anything that within the first, you know, it's linking you to products that are, it's probably not a good thing. Um, unless yeah. it's legit stuff like here's, here's a glued ham raise, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, and God, I think a big one, and this used to be even relevant at T Nation and things with your guys' articles, articles where people will reference stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's huge. Evidence. And nobody does that anymore. Yeah. You know, they back their own stuff up. Um, and then as far as lifters go, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say, look for somebody who has, who's actually doing it, um, and doing it for a long time. But, uh, because there are some people, some very smart people out there that aren't great competitors. Uh, hell, some of the best coaches can be people that weren't great competitors. Right. Yes. You know, because they had to struggle. So, and, and a lot of the most gifted people didn't, so they're not great coaches. Um, but you know, I don't know. I mean, advertorials and, and references is a big one. And just if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I mean, that's yeah. like when I quit writing for muscle and fitness and stuff, it was when I gave them an article and they told me it was too smart. It's like, it's about <laughs> fucking power. Lifting. You know, oh, and I was telling about leverages and it was an article on deadlifting. So I was talking about lever arms, and, and they're like, this is way too – we need it more layman. And so they wanted to edit the shit out of it and take all the – it's like, no, I'm, yeah. I'm done. You know? Yeah. I'm not writing to the lowest common denominator. I think it might have been yeah. Flex Magazine. I argued and argued just to get like three little references because they were crucial to the you know the base, the foundation of the article. Um yeah. And the rest were just removed. And, you know, I get it. Like, you know, when you're doing lettering and layout kinds of things in an Adobe product, you have to have so much white space. They can't let Lowry fill up a page with, you know, 30 references like like I would on T Nation or something like that. I get it. But you're right. I mean, some type of evidence as opposed to just some – is it someone's opinion, right? Are they just trying to set themselves apart in this age of gurus and social media? Those are things I – I would worry about and and to your point also I think you said earlier is you know um was there a, a publishing company behind it you know mm-hmm. that's probably a good info that other people felt this is important enough or high enough production value that they would invest in it you know yeah. and and that's good too um now, Mike, I know you have ebooks and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. so what are you telling people as far as if they need to read? I mean, maybe they latch on to someone like a, a you know, an actual qualified person like yourself, and they just go with that newsletter, you know, uh, for leads, if nothing else. But uh, like, what would you do? Yeah, I mean, I think now what I tell people is, you know, most people probably have a social media or newsletter of some form. You can get access to their content for free if it's something where everything is like just a magazine title and completely overhyped and then you're pushing a supplement or product or whatever and sadly i would say you could look to see if there's references but that's been abused to (laughs) to hell and back with yeah every reference under the sun and rat data and Mm -hmm. petri dish data and i mean i just did the 
one of the modules for the physiologic flexibility search and I probably read over 200 references and I only included 42 of them because I only included the ones that were actually relevant to the thing I was right. talking about. Curated. You know, yeah. I could have stuffed, you know, 150 and they're yeah. easy, you know, but that's not stuff that was relevant nor read nor directly even had time to talk about. Um, so as as much as I hate to tell people the appeal to authority is the way to go, that the sad reality is that's probably what they're going to do. <laughs> and I mean, I do it in my life. I go to my CPA and like, hey, what should I do for these tax things? I don't sit down and read the primary literature on the tax code. Right. You know, mm-hmm. And I don't have a skill set in that area. So most people aren't skilled in reading primary research, even if they can get access to it either, much less trying to synthesize stuff together. Or have the time, right. Or have the time, because as we all know, God, that takes a lot of time. So, I mean, that probably looking at the results that they have in background, you know, if they've been, if they claim to be a coach, then, you know, what have they done for people that they're coaching? Mm -hmm. If they've claimed to done, you know, university research or education, is it legitimate? Unfortunately, we can probably cite some people who have interesting PhDs in the field. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't take too long to talk to people who are actually in the field, and you can kind of figure out, like, who's more legit and, and who's not. Yeah. In fact, um, to be honest, we name-dropped a whole bunch of publications and authors and whatnot today, right? Follow yeah. up on those things uh, for sources of motivation or advice, you know, so – there's that. I mean, yeah, a lot of this stuff, I think podcasts or uh, newsletters, those are all great. And you can get on, of course, the mailing list of professional groups too, right? Because they want to ultimately sell you a membership, but you know, ISSN or the ASN or different nutrition groups, of course. Yeah. um, NSCA uh, places like that. Uh, And then you can just get leads that you could Google yourself. And if you run into a paywall, Mm -hmm. well then maybe it's time to pay if you really want it. Well, and that's not a bad one to mention. I mean, it's like if it's just free all the time, I kind of doubt the information. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, Generally, if you're paying for something, it's probably good information. That's like even Jim has a forum and it's like five or 10 bucks a month to get in. You go on there to Mm -hmm. to be a member of it, Mm -hmm. to get on and read and post. Mm -hmm. But if you go on there, it's good info. It's people that will pay five or ten dollars a month. You have no shit bags that are just there to start shit. You have just people that want to lift and get better info. And you get to sit down and that, like Wendler goes on daily and talks to you. Yeah. Um, but it makes it worthwhile. If it's moderated, if you've got editors and moderators, that's what we've lost, right? And yeah. so that's the kind of stuff that a, a paywall actually does a pretty good job at screening. It almost does some of the editing and moderating for you, right? So yeah, because I mean, I can tell you from behind the scenes as a uh, ed- editing and moderating is not the greatest thing. It depends on who's running it and by what rules. <laughs> yes, um, right. Because there's a lot of shit that we were asked to moderate and edit out that were not just for good information. You know, right? It was some of it we were literally blocking good information. Like, oh, people should probably know this. Well, that's not my job, though. So, yeah, I get uh, it. Yeah. So like you're the but, in a way you're the policeman, not the judge, you know? Yes. Yeah. I hear you. But yeah. and sometimes like paid content, even if it's a cheaper product, you may be just paying for time 
So yes. I have a foundations product that I haven't really pushed yet, but it'll be doing more in December. And it's basically just, uh, you know, stuff I've done on, you know, right boards and podcasts that I just did myself. And I took all of it, you know, took all the, the ads out from the podcast, just the beginning and end. And it's all just pure content. Now, could you probably spend a bunch of hours scouring the internet and grab all of that? Yeah, you could. Or you could pay like $37 and have it all in one spot then mm -hmm. too. Yeah. You know? So I think a lot of times you're paying for just, you know, saving your time and having everything in one place too. Yeah. Now, it's worth saying that we're free, um, the podcast yeah. here. But again, we, we, we talked about this before. We draw the line with individualized assessments and programming. We're not doing that for people, right? We have discussions to provide leads and information. But yeah, if you want, hey, put me on a diet, put me on an exercise program, then we're going to say, here's our email, you know, kind of thing. It's not going to be the kind of stuff that we're going to, we can't get down in the weeds with everybody. And it's, yeah. it's public radio format. So there are some people, and we're doing the fall funds drive right now, bless your hearts for actually chipping in, right, with one-time yes. donations or monthly donations. That It's what helps pay the server and, and do all this stuff that we do. Uh, and, you know, the occasional online, like the, the taste test videos that we were doing and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's not entirely free because some people are like, hey, this is worth paying for. You know, these guys aren't making people pay, but this is worthy. And I'm going to I'm going to. Well, yeah, pay but you also it. don't go back to the advertorial thing. You don't see us take these and you'll gain 15 pounds of muscle <laughs> in 14 days. Right. Totally. You know, uh, that's Totally. Yeah. Know. No BS. You're going to see one of two things. You know, you'll see that, you know, follow the money. We ain't got no money. So. <laughs> no, that's right. We're a club, if anything. <laughs> so we're not making a bunch of money doing this. So, you know, I'm not showing you my new Ben's that uh, Iron Radio. That's afforded. funny. Right. With, with <laughs> so, the Iron Radio uh, uh, license plate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I mean, we are literally doing this out of the goodness of our heart. That, I could save funny. this time every week. So, oh, totally. Um, yeah, give yeah. back. It's like the Arnold Six Rules. One of them is give something yeah. back, you know. And I, I, I do think there's some of that going on. So that's the motivation. All right. Uh, well, I know you got to get to the gym, Phil, and we are out of time. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. And we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot, guys. See you. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.